Welcome back, everybody, to the Hills of Silent Podcast, where we chop, 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 it up about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm Two Tone the Artist. And I am Mitch the Peach. All right, I'm a little sick today, but it's all right. I'll keep plowing forward. Mitch, we got a pretty fantastic episode today, if I do say so myself. Uh, mostly good news, but let's just let's just get the bad news out the way first, man. What's going on? Yep, exactly. I, I, I like doing that because uh, there's a lot of good stuff. But uh, unfortunately, in the news recently, uh, before that... Earlier this year, Nintendo, we announced that uh, on the pod that Nintendo is discontinuing the 3DS and Wii U eShops yeah. as what Nintendo called part of the natural life cycle for any product line as it becomes less used by consumers over time. Natural Very life robotic cycle. statement. AKA, it's got to die at some point, like all things in life. Exactly. So now, with that being said, they did also just announce that in April of 2024, they'll be discontinuing the online service for not only the Wii U, but the 3DS eShop, or for the 3DS in general as well. So with that being said, it says after this point, the 3DS, the only thing that will, will work on the 3DS is the Pokemon storage app, Pokemon Bank. Uh, that was the only accessible software online, which uh, I know our uh, loyal listener Typo is a big fan of the Pokemon Bank. From my, I have no knowledge of what the Pokemon Bank does. I think it maybe transfers Pokemon to each game as you play new ones over time. But uh, Typo, feel free to submit a correction because I'm probably wrong. Yeah, please let me know because I that was going to be my first question: what the Pokemon Bank is. But I don't know. If you don't know, I don't know. Feel like we should know this yeah so nintendo did uh, release a little quote if an event occurs that would make it difficult to continue online services for nintendo 3ds and wii u software we may have to discontinue services earlier than planned so while april 2024 is the the release is what they said this could happen earlier uh i want to ask you a question though mike because one of the one thing stuck out to me and it said the 3ds will save your badge data but if you experience an SD malfunction, you will not be able to restore it. So I know you and I are ones that uh, have jailbroke our 3DSs. Do you think that could, you know, if, if there were something to malfunction with that, do you think in any way that could uh, prohibit us from, you know, cor correcting that or, you know, fixing our, our 3DS after it, it crashes or something? I don't know. That's a good question. So there was something interesting in the news actually just recently that out of nowhere after a long dry spell of no updates, Nintendo released an update for the 3DS that patched all the exploits so that you could no longer jailbreak your 3DS. Of course the modding community worked quickly and circumvented that making it pretty much the useless effort on nintendo's part but yeah there are some things like that 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 i take into consideration but i mean really jailbreaking a 3ds is what's going to extend its life so obviously this is like the final nail in the coffin where nintendo's like we don't we're not going to support the 3ds anymore we got new products and new consoles to support you know mainly the switch and then eventually the switch too 
So I do find it odd that they released that patch to fix that exploit. And this could open a whole can of worms of if game, you know, Nintendo is very, I don't know if shady is the right word, but they're very aware of their modding community that that does try to preserve these games when Nintendo shuts stuff down. But it, if things are not widely available, I think it just goes back to what we always say. Modding is OK. I mean, Nintendo sometimes does a good job of bringing stuff back and preserving things, but there are also times where nintendo doesn't do a great job and things aren't easy to get and there's no way to play you know xyz game unless you know you do have a physical copy or you rely on the modding community yeah absolutely and uh i will say i got two 3ds's that are both jailbroken so one one messes up i got the backup smart very Uh, smart yeah there was uh my original 3ds i ordered i think i told you this i ordered one from japan because they're cheaper in japan than they are here so i had one just shipped internationally in and then that's the the first one i ended up jailbreaking and you can actually jailbreak them to be completely converted to u.s english 3ds okay but it's it's a little more finicky of a process and there's a slight chance that you could break your console and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work after that, so I just left mine as a Japanese 3DS, and uh, yeah, I just eventually memorized all the menus and stuff, so it didn't matter that I couldn't read Japanese. And then the <laughs> other 3DS I got, I used to stop by when I worked at my last job. On my ride home, I always drove past this half price books. And Half Price Books, they also sell used video games as well. They sell actually a lot more than books. But I would stop there every once in a while, and sometimes they'd have good deals. Actually, sometimes they'd have great deals. I would I would scour the clearance section, and sometimes they'd have games for like a dollar or two dollars. And they had a minty condition new Nintendo 2DS XL. So it does not have the 3D capabilities, but half the time I'm playing it with the 3D disabled anyway when I'm playing on my my 3DS. And I forget how much they were selling it for. It was like 60 bucks or something. 60 or $70, I think. And I'm telling you, this thing looked like nobody had ever used it. Like it was in flawless condition. So I just went ahead and picked that up because I'm like, man, that's too good of a price to pass up. And if anything were to happen to my 3DS XL, it'd be nice to have that as a backup. So I ended up getting that one and, uh, and jailbreaking that one as well. Uh, I own a new 3DS XL. I used to have like the regular smaller version, but then before it went, the 3DS completely went away, they released that new 3DS XL, which has like that little kind of like d-pad of sorts so it's like a little thumb pad that you can you can move around with that's like motion like with your thumb it's it's interesting it also had like ambio support where you could drop your ambio on it or something and gets like content but that was like at the very end of its life cycle so not a lot of stuff really uh incorporated the new features that they put on that but i like that it's really big and you know has a good screen and when i'm playing games like fire emblem i can see really well so yeah yeah i i, I upgraded at the right time i think to me, that's the definitive one to get. The new 3DS XL or the new 2DS XL. It's just, to me, that's that's the best one. And it's crazy to me 
how much the prices of 3DSs and 2DSs have gone up recently. Like, but for me, like that, that's the only one I want. I only want the the new 3DS XL, the new 2DS XL. To me, the other ones are just like immediately obsolete once those came out because those are like the definitive version yeah. of it or revision. But even like the old 3DSs, they're crazy expensive now. They're just shooting up in the collector's market. And uh, yeah, I'm glad, yeah, I, I'm glad yeah. I got mine and kept it, and uh, my dad didn't give it away or something. You know the typical <laughs> things that happen with my older consoles good man but yeah i love the thing i got it years later after pretty much i mean at that point nintendo had already pretty much quit supporting it there really weren't yeah. any new games coming out <clears throat> i only got it a few years ago but yeah i love it i love diving into consoles right at the end of of their their lifetime because typically exploits have been found so you can jailbreak them and uh, you can get them for cheap you can get the games for cheap accessories for cheap and I think I told you this before, like with handhelds, it's hard for me to game a long time on handhelds because typically they're just not comfy or they're made for people with really small hands or they're just made to be small in general so you can travel with them. And I ended up getting this really cool grip. So typically if I have a handheld, like my PSP, PlayStation Vita, or the 3DS, I got like grips on all of them. So they're just easier to hold and sit down and like or lay in bed mm -hmm. and game for a long time. And I just gotten the 3DS XL. And for some reason, sometimes the grips themselves are very collectible and hard to come by. There's a PlayStation Vita grip that's crazy expensive. I mean, people are like paying hundreds of dollars for it. And it's wow. just it's just a grip thing you put around it so it's easier to hold. Well, it's uh, kind of like with like uh, like with Nintendo, like if you can get like a a wave bird for instance like an actual like legitimate wave bird wireless gamecube controller like those controllers i guess it's a different it's not the same thing but specific type of gripped controller that is wireless yeah those things are a pretty penny too yeah but luckily with the playstation vita some third-party company made a mold of that really rare grip and then just made like knockoffs of it that they sell for dirt cheap on ebay or amazon yeah, you know nice. it's a typical bootleg thing where they 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 yeah. they basically steal the design by creating a mold of of a copy of the legit thing so that was great that was great for the playstation vita however i could not find the equivalent of that for the nintendo 3ds and at the time i was looking the grips were also really collectible and hard to come by and super expensive but I happened to be at Second and Charles, which is another used game store here in Atlanta. And again, they got tons of other stuff, but I usually just go for the games. And I was looking through their accessories, and I had just gotten my Nintendo 3DS XL like earlier that week. And I was looking through the accessories, and there was a new old stock, which just means it's brand new in box, but it's an old item, of a super rare 3DS like grip. Mm -hmm. And it came all the way from Japan. Like the whole box was all in Japanese. Wow. And I'm like, get out of here. What? I needed a grip for my 3DS XL. What are the odds that I come to Second and Charles and one all the way from Japan that was probably manufactured like 15 years ago is still brand new in box there and they were selling it for like 10 bucks. That's amazing. Uh, at the time, I didn't know it was collectible. And then I liked it so much, I was like, let me get a second, let me see if I can get a second one in case I break this one. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked it up on eBay, and there was like one listed, and somebody was selling it for like 250 bucks. I'm like, a You're grip? Like, a grip, I dude. It's this now. It's just molded plastic, so it fits in your hand better. Why is this 250 bucks? So anyway, I was like, I'm glad I found this just tucked away, buried in like the cheap, junky accessories of Second and Charles. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, I'm getting way off topic, but uh, yeah, we got on a tangent, but that's okay. You know, yeah, it's all relevant. To circle back uh, to what you were saying, is that yeah, when Nintendo drops support for stuff, you kind of got to rely on the modding community to yes. keep things alive, which I think rolls great into our next topic. Yeah, so essentially to keep this alive, they a open source project uh they are called pretendo which i think pretendo is a fantastic name uh, they're working to preserve and replace the nintendo network so it looks like uh, as mike is showing it they even provide their progress on everything that they're doing as far as you know just the the different portions of what looks like right now just the wii u platform so you can see how their progress of what they've gotten with the Wii U friends list, the Wii U chatting, and then specific games that they are trying to uh, reverse engineer to get them back up and running, essentially, or keeping the servers alive. So pretty cool that uh, you know they that there's a whole site dedicated to this, and people are really trying to preserve good things like this like i love my wii u do i play my wii u online not really but i mean it's still cool to have the option like this where people are trying to preserve it and give you the option to play the original splatoon for instance which is an absolute amazing game or like super mario maker and the 3ds which has a bunch of community made levels that people always you know that people are continually updating uh so yeah i mean pretty awesome here uh just a free open source replacement for the Nintendo servers and you know it just it, it's nice to have a community that are trying to keep stuff alive we'll always highlight this on the Hills or Sound podcast when people are trying to keep keep anything that is uh, original alive yeah and it does say here in the FAQ that you will need a jailbroken uh, oh wow console to access it which is typical most of these like yeah. Um, homebrew networks you do have to hack your console to be able to access them so it says will I need hacks to connect yes you will need to hack your device to connect however on Wii U you will only need access to the homebrew launcher i.e. HacksG, cold boot HacksG or even the web browser exploit with info on how the 3DS will connect coming at a later date so yeah our 3DS is ready to go man nice. should be set to connect to this when it comes back online. I never played any online games on my 3DS. I've only ever played just single player games. Have you done any online gaming on your 3DS? You've had yours way no. longer than me. Yeah, I've had mine for quite a long time. And no, I think I only bought it originally to play games that are single player that I couldn't play. I think one of the first games I bought was Luigi's Mansion 2 because it was an it was only a 3DS game. So it was really just trying to buy those exclusives that I, you know, that, that were only for the 3DS that I, I couldn't play otherwise. Yeah, for me, handheld gaming, I don't know, it depends on the game, but I don't think I've 
ever really done multiplayer gaming on a handheld? No, I mean the only thing like I like I said I uh, like we talked about last week with the phone gaming. I play multiplayer on card games, but that's way different. It doesn't take half as much like hand-eye coordination like you would with like a you know something else on a handheld like a a Mario Kart racer or you know some sort of shooter. Yeah, I do like that it has um, Semu support, which is the Wii U emulator. So you can also access, you'll also be able to access this online service through emulation as well. Nice. All right, let's check out the team. All right, it's only, oh wow, it's only eight developers. All right. Good for them. Uh, I've always, I've always said I should probably jump on one of these, uh, these like homebrew, homebrew projects, like, because teams like this are always looking for additional support and people to help out. So even with like emulators and stuff, I'm always like, that would probably be a good side project to work on. But in all honesty, man, after like, after coding 50, 60 hours a week at my day job, like the last thing I want to do is sign off of work and then turn around and go right back into coding some other stuff. Right. All that free time you have, Mike, you've got so much. Uh, yeah right <laughs> uh, so, so I, do, I do like in the about us it says that um, Pretendo is an open source project that aims to recreate Nintendo network for the 3DS and Wii U using clean room reverse engineering what does clean room mean uh, I, I'm pretty sure it just means they're starting from scratch like okay like sometimes you can reverse engineer things based off documentation you've obtained That'll make, give you like a jumping off point so you kind of know what's going on or maybe you have uh, the original source code or part of the original source code. Clean room is just like you're just trying to figure out how it works. You're going in completely blind and then just building from from step zero. On wow, impressive. And reverse engineering of anything is an extremely difficult task, especially when you have no no documentation or nobody to tell you how it originally worked. Right. So, I mean, I hope everybody realizes that these developers that work on these projects, on these network revivals or emulators or any of this stuff, any homebrew stuff, it is a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And, I mean, this stuff is given away for free. It has to be because you're essentially... You know, it's copywritten stuff. It's stuff you can't make money off of anyway, but right. it is definitely very appreciated all the hard work that these developers put in because I don't think people realize just how bang your head against the wall difficult this stuff is. I think it's even cooler they actually give you a percentage progress report of like yeah. the, what what they've done. Like they don't need to do that for you. I mean they're they're just doing this stuff like as a as a passion project. So it's you know it's it's very impressive all around. Yeah. Again, more impressive because not only are they doing all the work of actually recreating the networks, but they're also spending all the work on the website keeping people up to date. Yeah. And providing good information, which takes a lot of time in of itself. That it does. All right, man. Well, when this this jumps off, I'll be ready to give it a try. 
Not sure what game I would test out because, like I said, never done any online gaming on, on a 3DS. And I've never even played a Wii U. I think that's more your realm because you do own a Wii U. I do. definitely haven't done any online gaming on that console. I've done some online gaming on that one. Definitely Splatoon and some Mario Kart for sure. Um, more on, I'm usually more like on consoles. I do like to do online more than anything. And Nintendo had some good ones on the Wii U. But yeah, let's uh, let's move along. We got a we've got an action-packed episode here. Uh, just uh, just quickly, it's something that I that I saw that I'm I'm really excited about, and it's very topical from our last episode. Netflix is releasing a couple awesome animated series, and they have a really good track record. Before I get into which ones, about they have a really good track record with using video game properties to create these animated series. I've watched two of them now. I've watched Castlevania, which is excellent. If you haven't seen Castlevania, the animated series on Netflix, I highly recommend it. They do it. The art style is excellent. And just the whole story arc that they created was awesome. And then they also do a League of Legends uh, animated series as well which the name is escaping me right now but uh it's also uh arcane arcane is what it's called and it is also excellent man like that i think that won some awards actually with how good that was so with that being said they're releasing two more animated series based on video game properties the first is tomb raider the legend of laura croft which i think is awesome like how much laura croft or tomb raider content have we seen in the past you know as far as like it used to be the movies and whatnot but we haven't seen much of it in the past like 10 years i'd say right yeah yeah it's so cool that some of these franchises just keep having resurgences and it just comes in waves and i think it's just i think the nostalgia is just hitting for tomb raider these past mm-hmm. couple years because the series tapered off with some kind of mediocre entries as far as the games go and then we got the reboot trilogy, which was awesome. And then that, yeah, that was great. I just played through the first one earlier this year, as we covered on our earlier episode. And I definitely want to play through the other two in that trilogy. And then, yeah, now we're getting the remaster of the first three Tomb Raiders and an animated mm-hmm. series. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Tomb Raider is a great series that I remember from basically my whole life. I think Tomb Raider 1 came out in, like, 97 or something when I was, like, 8 years old. So, so yeah, man. Glad to see it still around. I just love that a lot of these properties aren't dying forever kind of related. Nintendo has been neglecting F-Zero, the franchise, forever. Except putting, you know, Captain Falcon in Super Smash Bros. That was, like, the only thing they did, but they released recently... Uh, F-099, which is an F-Zero Battle Royale game, so it's 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 a little bit of content, but it, at least they are admitting that it's still alive, and that's, you know, that's what I like to see. Okay, interesting. I didn't hear about that one. Yeah, Nintendo Switch, free-to-play, little Battle Royale uh, F-Zero racing game. Really, I, I played a couple rounds of it online. Pretty fun. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're keeping uh, these franchises alive, not ignoring them. Tomb Raider uh, is a you know is a fantastic franchise as we've we've discussed in the pod and uh, dates back to a long time. So glad we're getting some cool content, and I, I trust Netflix to do these animated series right. They have not failed me yet. The next one is even more topical because we just talked about it last week. It is Devil May Cry, 
which also is going to be amazing because this one is actually produced by the members of the Castlevania series. So I'm already on board with it and I know it's going to be great if it's behind the people that did Castlevania because they treated that franchise with care and release an awesome product. And then along with that, uh, the game's director since DMC3, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Hidaki Itsuno, I think. That's the best I got. Uh, he supervises on the project, so that's also cool. That I love when... I love when the actual people who created these games supervise on products, most recently, obviously, with the Left 4 Dead series on HBO. Uh, Neil Druckmann was very heavily influenced in that, and that resulted in a really good product. That's a, it was a great Left 4 Dead season. Uh, Left 4 Dead. It was a great Last of Us season, so... Uh, I'm excited I know, for this man. Devil May Cry one as well. I know. There's just so many zombie movies and games and TV shows. They just get all jumbled up in my head. There was a previous episode we did on the podcast. I think we were talking about uh, Dead Island or something, and then I called it Dead Rising. And I noticed it during yeah, editing. Yeah, that's so I'm like, easy. It's just too much, man. My mind is just like it. the thousand and one zombie games I played. Well, Left 4 Dead was like my childhood, so anytime I think zombie game, I just say Left 4 Dead because that was like the first like one that really like hit me like as a kid. Yeah. So yeah, I, but yeah, so, The Last of Us, which is also a great series. So this Devil May Cry trailer is crazy short. It literally yes. is just the names of the production companies working on it. Then is Dante doing a backflip, shooting some guns, and that's it. Like twenty seconds tops. Like that is such a. Let's talk about a teaser. Peak. Yeah, but I, I've got faith in both of these. I think Netflix usually does these right, and they 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 do really well in the long run. Um, you and I both recently watched. Uh, was that Resident Evil one a uh, Netflix? I know Resident Evil has some Netflix series, but the most recent one that you and I watched that movie. That was not on Netflix, was it? No, that one wasn't. The series was okay. Got it. But yeah, that's all I got there. Uh, some pretty cool animated series. I will definitely be watching both of them right when they come out. Any last thoughts on that, Mike? Uh, no, man. Keep it coming, Netflix. Appreciate it. Yeah. I did watch like the first two episodes of Castlevania when it first premiered, but I just it was so long ago I don't really remember it. I think they did three seasons of it, and I watched all three seasons, and I was. Every time I would start one, I was hooked the whole way and like binged it, oh, wow. you know, immediately. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Nice. All right. So next up, I wanted to talk about limited run games. So are you familiar with this company at all? Yes, I am. I think. Okay. So, <laughs> so for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with limited run games, they're a company that releases physical editions of games that otherwise would have only been released digitally. And there's several companies that do the same thing. There's Limited Run. Ah, um, oh man, I can't remember the other ones, but there's a bunch. And it just seems like more and more keep coming out. And the quality, the quality varies. So typically, the companies themselves are very focused on the packaging, and they'll either release a standard edition of just the game physical and then like crazy, crazy collector's editions that come with so much stuff and are just hundreds of dollars. 
but and the quality is usually pretty good in what you get but i'm always kind of um i don't know i guess i guess what i'm really trying to say is they don't typically pick the games that i play it's a lot of indie games and stuff that i'm just not really into it's not that i'm not entirely into indie games but there's a lot of stuff like 2d platform like modern 2d platformers i'm just not a huge fan of and that's that's what a lot of these games typically are that get released sure. through these companies or like shoot 'em ups which again is just they're good games but it's just not my forte so anyway basically how it works is they'll announce hey this is the next game that we're going to release and they'll say we're putting up pre-orders for them you can get the super duper deluxe collector's edition or if you just want just a standard copy of the game you can get that as well and then there's a window of time that you can place a pre-order for and then however many pre-orders they get is how many copies they're going to make so if they get a thousand pre-orders, there's only going to be a thousand copies. If they get ten thousand pre-orders, it's going to be ten thousand copies. So basically, they're taking the orders before anything goes to manufacturing, which is genius because that on the back end that can save you money on manufacturing costs because then you're not playing a guessing game where it's like, all right, we're going to print up twenty thousand copies and then only five hundred sell, and now you're sitting on all this extra back stock. Yeah, no back forecasting involved for them. What'd you say? Oh, no forecasting involved, uh, which really does uh, cut you some, yeah. some time and gives you specifics. But some of these companies have been around longer than others. I think Limited Runs, it, Limited Run is one of more one of the originals as far as I understand it. I could be wrong about that, though. Uh, anyway, uh, the caveat being, if you pre-order a game before it's manufactured, you have to wait a long time before you're going to get your game. I'm talking typically a four to six month turnaround. So you're buying a game that you may not actually get shipped to your house until a half a year later. Now, I don't check this site often enough. Same with the other ones. Because like I said, 90% of the time is games I'm just not interested in. But every once in a while, they'll release something I'm really interested in and I miss my window of opportunity to pre-order it. And I'm like, dang it! And then next thing you know, the pre-orders end, they're all sold out, and then people are trying to sell them on eBay for like hundreds of dollars. And you're just like, ugh. Because really, with the exception of the collector's editions, most of these games, if you just want the standard edition, are like 35 bucks. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a brand new game for 35 bucks, which is lower than most retail games when they're first released right uh and it's pretty cool knowing that hey this is like an exclusive limited edition game so it's really annoying when you miss that that pre-order window knowing you could have gotten it for 35 bucks and then you spent then if you really want a copy after the fact you got to spend like 100 plus bucks on ebay or amazon or something to get it from some reseller uh so i i recently pre-ordered Quake 2 remastered for PlayStation 4. Often they release these games on multiple consoles, Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox. So you can choose your platform that you want to get the game on. So yeah, I recently pre-ordered Quake 2 remastered because I definitely wanted a physical copy of that because that is an amazing remaster. 
and they just announced that they're doing physical releases for Persona 3 Portable, which was just recently remastered and re-released digitally. Because like I said, most of these games start out as digital-only games that were intended to be digital-only, and then this company will partnership with them to make these limited physical releases. So the Persona 3 Portable is currently on pre-order. And the pre-order is from September 29th to November 12th. And you can get the standard edition for 35 bucks on PS4, Switch, Xbox, or you can get the limited edition, uh, looks like, for $200. And then they have like an in-between limited edition for 70 bucks. So sometimes they have like multiple tiers. Anyway, I just get the base edition. I don't need some fancy, crazy collectible box. But if that's what you're into, cool. Anyway, so Persona 3 Portable is getting released. And then starting on October 27th, they're going to do pre-orders for Persona 4 Golden, which also was just recently remastered and released digitally. Now, I've never played either of those Persona games. Have you played either of those? I have played Persona 4 Golden. I have not finished Persona 4 Golden. Those Persona games are very, very long, as we've talked about on a podcast, but I do own it on Steam, and I've put I've sunken in 10 to 15 hours at least in it. Okay. So, from what I've read, Persona 4 Golden is probably the more refined game. So it sounds like if you're a fan of Persona 5... Persona 4 Golden is closer to that experience where Persona 3 Portable is kind of like the middle stopgap between the older Persona games and the more modern Persona games that people are used to who have jumped in recently into the Persona series because the Persona series has been around for a long time. Yeah, because I started with Persona 5 and I loved it so much. I think I put 100 hours into that game because that's how long it took to beat it. Uh, so I, in turn, went back and got because Persona 4 Golden has always been on Steam, or it's been on Steam for a very long time. So I went ahead and, and got that one, and it, it does align very much with uh, with how Persona 5 is. So Persona Persona 3 was originally released on PlayStation 2, and it's one of those scenarios where it's really annoying because. They keep releasing different versions of it. So they had Persona 3, and then the other one I think was Persona 3 Fez or something like that, which was like an updated version that was also released on PlayStation 2. And then Persona 3 Portable was released on the PSP. And the way I understand it is that there's not really a definitive edition. So Persona 3 Portable fixed some things, but screwed up other things. And then Persona 3 Fez fixed some things, but doesn't doesn't have the the enhancements that Persona 3 Portable has. So I'm always the type of guy to be like, give me the definitive edition. But this is one of those weird scenarios where there is no definitive edition. They're kind of like two different editions that could be considered the definitive edition, but have pros and cons in each. 
And also just watching some of the gameplay on Persona 3 Portable, it just doesn't look like it would appeal to me. It almost has a little bit too much of an old school JRPG feel. Uh, but knowing, so I thought about getting this game from Limited Run, but I think I'm a pass on this. However, Persona 4 Golden has caught my eye a little more. So I'm thinking maybe that's worth picking up on Limited Run when that pre-order starts. But I want to get your like full, honest opinion because I find it kind of odd that you crank through 100 hours of Persona 5 and then Persona 4, you only got about 10 hours in and then set it down and never picked it back up again. Because it sounds like either you got distracted or it was nowhere near as engaging as Persona 5. Is that is that the case? I think the issue, part of the issue was I have it on Steam. So if I have... I have to put the hours in while sitting at my computer desk the entire time. I don't really have a way of playing. I just recently got a laptop, so now I could go back and do it on the couch at my own leisure. But it's kind of hard to do 100 plus hours sitting at the at a computer desk after you just worked an eight hour shift at a computer desk. So that's kind of where I'm at right there. But I mean, obviously, it's the game before five and it, it, it is a little more dated than five. But I, I did enjoy what I played, and I do get in, I get wrapped into those stories. But uh, yeah, if I, I've not played the portable, but I'm, I'm intrigued with this limited run thing as well. I might actually pick up a copy. All right, let me stop you there. Yeah. Now I know why you have not finished it, because you have it on PC. So, Mitch, you're really hard to shop for, for Christmas gifts. Do you want a copy of Persona 4 Golden? As your Christmas gift. Absolutely, yeah. That would, that would be a perfect Christmas gift. All right, cool, man. Good. I'll check you off. Now I know what to get you. Um, Easy. But having said that, do you want it on Switch, Xbox, or PlayStation 4? Xbox is where I lean toward these days. I'd rather play it on my, my Series X and, and chill on the, on the couch. It's probably the best place to play it, at least for me anyway, since it is the most powerful console I have. Got it. So it looks like, so for Persona 3 Portable right now, they have it on all three consoles. So I'm assuming they're gonna have it on all three consoles on Persona 4 Golden. <clears throat> all right, cool, man. I, I, I will grab that. you a copy then. I'll pre-order one for both of us. Come Perfect. October 27th. There we go. Look all at right. that. We're, we're recording a pod in, checking off the Christmas list. You yeah. Can't, can't multitask better than that. Right, uh, so also, if it's gonna, so if I order it, so typically the pre-order date starts on October 27th and usually it ends like a month or something after that. And then they don't ship them out till six months later. Uh, should I have it shipped to your current address? Are you gonna be there seven months from now? Uh, the Magic Johnson meme, I need that. Uh, I'm not gonna be here. <laughs> uh, so no, I will not. All right, man, I'll have it shipped to my place and then I'll either give it to you when you come down for the Southern Fried Gaming Expo next year or uh, or next year during Christmas. Well, it's supposed to be this or, year's Christmas gifts. I don't want to wait till next Christmas. But or you can have it shipped to my dad, and that might be a, a decent option as well. Okay, yeah, that's good. I think I'll do that instead. That way you can get it as soon as possible. There you go. All right, cool, man. All right, so, yeah, that's all I had on Limited Runs. It's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Especially when they got a game that you're into. So you just got to keep an eye out for it. 
yeah, I'm gonna have to monitor that going. I've heard about it, but then yeah, I just it never like came to the top of my mind, or never really thought enough about it to go and check it out on a regular basis. But now I'm going to. Yeah. All right, man. I've got a game that I've been playing lately, but I'm right at the end of it, so I'm gonna wait till I finish it before I talk about it. So I'll, I'll discuss it on the next episode. But you, you did it, man. You dived in to the mega, mega world that is Starfield. I did. I did, and I was hesitant at first because I know once I dove in, it was going to be a while until I could get out because there is a load of content in this game. Uh, For those who don't know, which I'm sure anybody who's listening to this podcast probably does know, uh, it is an action open world RPG that's centered in space, developed by Bethesda Game Studios. Bethesda Game Studios is very popular for creating the Fallout series, for creating games like Skyrim and Oblivion and Morrowind and all those great RPGs that have really shaped gaming as a whole. And I want to say, as more of a general statement before I go into details, that it is very much like those Bethesda games. It is a Bethesda RPG at its core. It feels like it, you know, it... Their engine has, while it is a more update day engine, it definitely still has that, the, the only way I can call it is that Bethesda jank that is, you know, it kind of is, it's charming. It's a charming part of of the, the Bethesda game engine and people that are playing it should know that going in that, you know, it, it still has that, that, that charm that I'm going to call it. There have been some complaints because there is, you know, Mike, I'm sure you've played either a Fallout or a Skyrim, and you know how it works with the jank. When I call when I call it jank, like the NPCs are sometimes, you know, they're they're very awkward moving. When they're talking to you, they kind of just stand in the same, exp- you know, expression on their face and and talk to you, and just like that that typical, you know, Bethesda funny stuff when you're when you're communicating with the NPCs in that world. So that's definitely still there. But I'm having a load of fun on this game. And I've been Swanee and I, my buddy Swanee, who we talk in Xbox party chats probably every night these days, have both been playing it and just chatting about everything as we go along. So when I say it has a ton of content, I I definitely want to provide a little bit of background without any spoilers. It extends outward from the solar system. So just picture it's approximately 50 light years from the solar system and they call it uh what do they call it i wrote it down um they call it some other sort of system i will i'll think about it but it it is 50 light years outside of the solar system earth is now uninhabitable and humanity is forced to use light travel to settle in other star systems so as a result, since Earth is uninhabitable, obviously, you know, positions of power and government changes. This this huge system breaks out into a bunch of factions, and each one of these factions has their own quest line, which I think I have had way more fun doing than the actual main quest line. And those are the Freestar Collective, the United Colonies, Ryujin Corporation, and then the Crimson Fleet, which is a bunch of space pirates, which is, they're, they're pretty cool. And you start your character by creating a character, and you are originally a space miner who finds an artifact. 
And before you go into the store, you get to do a ton of customization on character. You can, you know, a ton of obviously cosmetic customization, but they also give you two things, a background, and then you have to pick uh, a few traits. So your background gives unlocks specific dialogue options throughout the game. For example, mine is the diplomat. So I really wanted to be someone who could persuade because persuading is always like a big thing in those in those Bethesda RPGs and the dialogue options. So I, I chose a diplomat, but it also gives you traits, which these traits can be good and bad, and you have to pick a couple of them. And I, and for example, there's there's one that I picked called Kid Stuff, where your parents are still alive uh, and they'll give you gifts occasionally. So I got this really cool pistol from my dad in the game. Uh, and then there's another one where it's called Dream Home, where you own a luxurious customizable house on a peaceful planet, but unfortunately, you have to pay 125,000 credit mortgage every time, every week, as we paid weekly. Yeah, so like, nice. there's give and take on a lot of these traits, but you can always find some that I that are that are better for you. Hold on, I play video games for escapism. If I'm paying mortgage in real life and then paying mortgage in a game, mm, that's they could have left that part out. Yeah, safe to say I did not pick that option. Uh, I, I did not want to pay that uh, that credit mortgage the entire time. But yeah, so you pick a background and you pick a few traits and that kind of leads to you getting your skills in the game. So I started out with like a little extra health, uh, some uh, a boost in my persuasion skill. And then one other thing or something. But as you level up in typical Bethesda fashion, you can unlock new skills to make your character stronger as you as you progress through space and uh, do quests and whatnot. So eventually, after you get all that done and you create your your cool character, you join Constellation, which Constellation is a group of just a very random assortment of people who come together with a common goal of collecting more of those artifacts that you, the character, stumbled upon when you were in your mining operation. And these artifacts are believed to be one of the greatest mysteries for humanity to uncover. So this group, Constellation, people kind of think would, I guess they call them, maybe not conspiracy theorists, but they kind of think that they're they're a group of people that are kind of chasing, chasing a pipe dream, but uh, as you soon find out, you're, you're, you're tasked to go and collect these artifacts throughout the main campaign. And doing so unlocks a, uh, a lot of cool things for your character that I won't spoil because I know people listening are, uh, are playing this game and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. I am about, I want to say, man, I, I have to be at least 50 or 20 hours in by now. I've, I've put in some, some good time into it. I think I don't like about the Xbox like always on feature and like the quick like they have like a, um, uh, a quick resume feature. So like if I turn my Xbox off and I turn it back on uh, like the next day, I could launch the game again and they'll just go straight back to my game and I don't have to like go through any of the load screens or anything, which is awesome. But I think with Starfield, it tricks you into thinking that you played way more than you have. Because it says I played mm -hmm. for over two days right now, and I definitely have not done that. Yeah, I've, I've encountered that on PlayStation 4 as well. <clears throat> so, no, go ahead. I was going to say, that's an awesome feature. Oh, it's so great. I love just being able to boot right back in. Yeah, it's so nice to just jump 
jump into my my PlayStation Four and just wake it up and then just be right back, like unpause the game and I'm right where I left off. Yeah, especially saves me sometimes if like you know there's some games that still you have to manually save to get where you want, and even with Starfield they do auto save, but sometimes you want a manual save that's that's farther in than where they auto save, so it's it's a cool feature. Uh, there's there's so much in this game, and honestly, like I I could talk the whole podcast about it, but I, I really want to specify one thing that we've talked about on a previous pod to kind of wrap it up. Uh, the lock picking and we've had a whole subject on lock picking in our in our podcast and i really want to highlight the lock picking in this because it's probably one of the more fun things i do in this game which i mean it's a very simple mechanic but i really get locked in and you know i'm a big fan of of, of strategy games and puzzle games and card games so it's, it's really up my alley but Apparently, it's so good that someone actually turned it into its own little mini game. And essentially what you do in lockpicking in this game is they give you a list of picks and there's you have to rotate them and try to see which ones fit into certain into certain locks, essentially, or into certain portions of the lock. And some might be used, some might not be used. So they give you a big list and not all of them need to be used to solve this puzzle. But you could you could accidentally use one that can get you through part of the lock. But it's actually one that you shouldn't have used because you needed that for another like section of the lock later on as you unlock each level. So there's like an easy advanced expert master. And uh, you can use skills, so obviously you can all Bethesda games. That as you progress your skill and lock picking, you can unlock those harder and harder locks. So as you can see in that, I think Mike, you're sharing the article of kind of how it works, is that there's different layers of the lock that you have to go through, and once you use one of the lock picks or what they call digi picks, you complete that portion but sometimes you may need one of the portions for another part that may screw you over and you'll have to use another lock pick to undo what you already did so yeah it's 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 very a very small portion of the game but i really wanted to highlight it because like honestly it it drew me in immediately and those digi picks man they are hard to come by i've uh, been talking with swanee a bunch as we've been playing through it i've had to go stock up every time i reach a planet because i i can never find any yeah, I just tried the mini game. Because, yeah, it's just like somebody created a version you can do in the browser. So you can practice. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it took me a little bit to get used to it. But uh, once I did, I've, I've, become, I've become pretty good at it. So this ref- does not reflect at all as my morality as a person. But anytime I've ever played Bethesda games, I've always just been as evil and horrible as possible. Go into the stores, slaughter the storekeeper, and just rob the place blind, and and just ridiculous. Is there still that degree of freedom, where you can just be as valiant as you want, or as criminal as you want in these games? Yes, there definitely still is that thing. You could shoot up the shopkeeper if you wanted to and steal everything inside. They actually. Um if you don't want to do that and take a more stealthier approach, they actually have some suits in that game that if you stand still, you go invisible. And this is kind of like falls in line with that Bethesda jank because you just go over to where all the guns and ammo are, you just stand still and you turn invisible and then you just start looting everything. And the shopkeeper is just standing right there. 
and doesn't know that you're just looting the whole thing because you're invisible, but things are just disappearing off the shelves, <laughs> even though you were, they just saw you in the store a second ago. So. Yes. You play Bethesda games for the freedom, not for the realism. Exactly, yeah. And there's a lot of freedom, and there are a ton, a ton of planets and solar systems to discover. Not everything has life as people have, you know, as the developers have told people, but you do get the freedom if you want to, to just go and fly out in space. Or if you want to take a quicker approach, kind of like I do, if you've already on, you know, if you've already reached a certain part of, of their system, <coughs> you can just fast travel everywhere you go essentially. And you don't have to worry about just like manually flying into everything. Cause it's, it's, it's huge. There's so, there's so many, there's so many solar systems that are also lead into a, their own group of planets and there's just so much to discover but it's nice for me to like go and fast travel to do everything i want to do quickly because while i i do like some essences of like the travel aspect i also want to finish the game in a reasonable amount of time right and i and i want to like see the quest progress and me just flying around aimlessly doesn't do that for me but yeah it, it's it's a ton of content there's a ton to explore all the great quests that you can you can imagine that are in a Bethesda game all the you know the great voice acting and and all these NPCs that are dressed goofy and have just great dialogue and excellent writing and you know it's it's all there and so I, I think um I was uh watching a streamer play it or he released something he's like you can find the boring things in this game and you can go do the boring things but there is a lot of fun to be had here. So just if you want to, you know, just go toward the fun stuff and just stick with it. Like, I mean, like I said, if you want to go and just randomly see if you can reach Pluto, like go ahead. Like, but I mean, otherwise just stick to some of these faction quests that are so deep and rich and story and fun and just do the fast travel stuff where like you get to everything super quick and you don't have to deal with, you know, the aimless flying or maybe more boring aspects of the game. Yeah. But yeah, that is Starfield. I honestly, uh, I want to talk about it more. I, I really am enjoying this game. They did do, I, they put a lot of effort in it. And for as big as it is and how much content they have, there really wasn't that many. I haven't run into many bugs at all, to be honest with you. I mean, it just, obviously there's that typical sometimes Bethesda, you know, charm with their engine, but you know, other than that, no game breaking bugs, nothing that's really present prevented any progress from me on quests like they released a really polished product day one, which is very hard to do these days in general, but also very hard to do with how immense this game is and how much content they put in it. Yeah. All right. Awesome, man. Yeah. Go play it, everybody. It's it's good. Yeah. But yeah, that is all we got. Any uh, final words, Mike? Uh, nah, man. I think we can wrap it up there. So thanks, everybody, for joining. Again, welcome back. If you are returning, if you're a new listener, glad to have you. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Where else are we at, Mitch? Yeah, you can find us as I'm pulling back up the that I accidentally exited out of, you can find us on our Twitter, which is at 
uh, at Hills or Silence. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills or Silence. Our TikTok is at the Hills or Silent Podcast. Our YouTube again at the Hills or Silence. Questions, comments, we will uh, read. I, I know uh, some people did leave some comments, uh, but uh, I feel like we're going to maybe, I like to collect uh, a bunch of them together before we uh, read them on the pod. So uh, I think next week we'll have some more listener comments, but feel free to send them to our email inbox as well. Hills are silent at gmail.com. We will catch you on the next episode.